Good morning, second service. How y'all doing this morning? Well, welcome to Shelby Christian. If we haven't met, my name is Ethan. I'm the worship pastor here. And whether it's your first time with us or your thousandth time with us, we believe that God has something new for us today. Do we believe that today? But since we believe that, would y'all stand up, greet some people around you, and then we will begin to worship the God who does something new today.
give a shout of praise in this place today. Come on, here we go. I'm Bobby Woods, discipleship pastor here at Shelby Christian. It's awesome to see all of you here this morning. It may be a little dreary outside, but the energy is in here. This is the place to be this morning. This week I was reading um, about Stuart's folly. It has to do with William Stuart, who in 1867 negotiated with the Russians to buy Alaska. Now, it was considered a big folly because most Americans thought it was silly to buy a place that was mostly covered with snow. But the United States only paid two cents an acre for Alaska. And you think of all the gold and the oil and the natural gas and everything that's come out of Alaska. I think we made our money back, don't you? One of the craziest things about Alaska is... To the west, one of the westmost islands of Alaska, it's called Diomede, Little Diomede. It's only an island about two and a half miles wide, and there's only about 27 people that live on that island. But that island is special because being a little Diomede, there was a big Diomede. And see, that is Russia. And that little Diomede is America. So you have two different cultures, two different languages, two different belief systems completely. And you can stand on Little Diomede and just look right over and you can see Russia. But one of the craziest things is the international date line runs right between Little Diomede and Big Diomede. Which means when you're in Little Diomede at different parts of the day, you can look over and see tomorrow. Now, another folly happened years ago. It was called the Apostles' Folly. You see, they were called foolish for believing that Jesus Christ came and died and three days later rose again. But we know that was no folly, right? We know that Jesus Christ rose again. How we went from the tears and the sorrow of Friday to the great joy of resurrection on Sunday. That is so awesome. And the greatest thing, just like you can see tomorrow from one Alaskan island over to Russia, we can see tomorrow when we stand on the hill of Calvary, we can see tomorrow of heaven. And one day, we too will be in heaven with our Savior. It will be a place with no crying, no pain, no sorrow. But most of all, it will be a place where we will get to be with God face to face. And I think that's why forever we will will sing in praise, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Let's pray together. Father, you truly are holy. There is no one like you. Father, you are so glorious, so awesome. And Father, we come this morning just to sing your praises. And as the last song said, out of the darkness into your glorious day. 
Father, we come out of our darkness and come into the light of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would just flow through this place, that you would anoint Ethan and the worship team as they continue to lead us. Father, that you would anoint Jason as he brings God's word this morning. Father, we love you, but we realize you loved us so much that our sorrow on Friday became the resurrection on Sunday. And we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come. Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me yet This promise stands today Your promise still stands 
Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Never failed. And I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again. Always enough. Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. Oh, yes, it will.
promise still stands. Great is your I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in see where you've been faithful and look forward to what's to come, God, and know that no matter the situation, no matter what is going on, you are going to move again. You're going to move again in our hearts. You're going to move again in the heart of this nation and move again in the heart of this world. God, let it be so in us today. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. morning. Hey, last night, uh, we, my wife and our boys, we were in uh, Kroger Field with 60,000 other big blue fans just screaming our heads off, right? And I have to tell you that in the, if you've ever been, like, it, it's kind of rare that this happens, right? A big game, packed house, Everyone's in unison with those stupid little shakers, the little pom-pom things, and half the stadium's dressed in white, the other's in blue, and it's this unison blue and white and go, you know, all the stuff that goes on. When there's this, this big group of people and it's loud, it's, it was loud, as loud. I told Melinda, I was like, this, I've never heard it as loud as I heard it last night in that place. And that was awesome. But when I stand over there, And look at you guys, just a few hundred, as you sing about the faithfulness of God. There's nothing like that, right? Amen? There's nothing like being in the midst of God's people singing about His faithfulness. And what I think about when I sing songs like that is, God, I'm thankful that you're faithful even when I'm not, right? And we're going to look at that this morning. That's the story we're going to look at this morning. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to get there in a second. We're in the, the almost the end of this uh, series, epic Genesis stories in Genesis, and walking through some of these just incredible stories that, that Moses wrote there in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis for us, and what we can learn from them. There's a lot of questions that come up. There's a lot of things that you read, and you're like, wow, that's a weird story, and that's a weird thing, and why would God do this, and why would people do this, and what's going on here? A lot of questions, right? So hopefully we're going to give you some answers today to show you a little bit about what it all means. I want to first tell you about an experience I had in, in 2005. 
2005, spring of 2005, we took a group of high school kids to New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, there was a, a church plant, Journey Christian Church, was led by Rick Grover at the time, and they were planning a church in New Orleans, in Metairie, just kind of outside, like right there on the, the edge of, of Lake Pontchartrain. And so we went down, we took some kids on spring break in, in April of 2005 to help them assist in planning this church in New Orleans. Fell in love with the city of New Orleans during that trip. I just fell in love with the city. I love, and I know some people, you probably maybe have gone there before and you're like, some people like it, some people don't like it, you know, have all kinds of different opinions about it. And, and I get the touristy stuff that you may like or may not like. And you go to the French Quarter and you, you go down, um, you know, Bourbon Street. That's like, if you go, just don't, just don't walk past that street because you don't need to go to, trust me. Like, uh, like we, here, this is a funny story, a little side note. So the first time I'd been there, we take the kids we're, we're in the church van. Like we drove down there. And so we get there. It's before we hook up with the people at the church. And it, and, it, and we go, we, we, I was like, oh, let's go down to the French Quarter. Never been there before. And let's drive around. Never been there before, I remind you, okay? And so you get to Bourbon Street. And so I take the church van down Bourbon Street. You guys have been there laughing. Yeah. In the middle of the day. And those high school boys, I thought their eyes were going to bug out of their head. I'm like, okay, this was not a good idea to take the Shelby Christian Church bus church van down bourbon street it was in the middle of the day and it was like oh my gosh i can't believe what it would be like here at night so if you go don't go to bourbon street but i loved now all of you are gonna go what's on me i love new orleans but here's what what was different we got to know people right we got to meet people that live there and hear their stories and minister with them and, and i just fell in love with the people and the food and the culture and i just i just love it and became a saints fan because of it basically because i just love the city of new orleans i i didn't know and we didn't know that you saw that first picture of the group we didn't know that that would be the last time first time and last time that we would ever see new orleans like that because in August of 2005, Hurricane Katrina would hit New Orleans. And it would basically devastate the whole city. And I remember being back here in Shelbyville and watching on the news as that was happening. And, and, and as we watched the news, there were like places that they would show. And we were like, we were just there. Like a few months ago. And then there were people, there were, there were men that were in the, one of the shelters and like they were interviewing them and there was news footage and like some of the girls were like calling me and, and, and messing me going, Hey, did you see so-and-so? We just saw so-and-so on the news. It looks like they're okay. And I remember our group just really just heartbroken because we knew people and we knew places and we knew that city wouldn't be the same again. We decided in the next few years to come to take um, trips again to Mississippi and New Orleans after Katrina. That was pre-K. This was post-K, right? And we took those trips, and I see Sam, I'll sit now. Sam uh, went with us, and we took a group of people, a group of kids, and high school uh, kids and adults, and, and Sam drove his truck, and I drove the van, and we headed out to New Orleans. And we saw some things that, that you wouldn't believe. You probably saw it on the news. Just the devastation. There would be neighborhoods. We would walk through these neighborhoods and it would just be slab after slab after slab of concrete where the houses used to stand. They were gone. 
And you would walk some other neighborhoods and the, the homes would, some of the structures would be still standing, but it looked like, it just looked like an apocalypse. It looked like a zombie apocalypse. Like there would be like 10 houses. No one lived there all boarded up, just kind of just trash. And then you'd like come up to this home and there would be someone still living there. And they're like, yeah, we just, we just kind of hunkered down. And like, we don't know if, if, if it's going to, if this neighborhood's going to come back, if this city's going to come back at all. And I remember just being, wow, this is the devastation of a storm and what, what water can do and what a flood can do. It was, it was miraculous and we were in all of it and we were heartbroken for what those people were, were facing. And you would hear story after story after story of people who would say, you know what, we're going to rebuild. We're going to rebuild. We're, we're going we're to start over because this is our home and we love it. And we're going to start over. And so we, in the little small attempt that we made there, we, we wanted to help those people in whatever way we could to, to start over. I, I wonder for you, have you ever had to start over? You ever, you ever had, to, had to kind of hit the reset button in life? Maybe you lost a job. Maybe a career kind of went by the wayside and you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture out and, and do something new. I'm going to take this new career path. I'm going to start over. Maybe you uh, moved from one town to another and it's starting over with new friends, a new church. Maybe as a kid, you bounced around. I've met uh, people before, kids who uh, their parents were in the military. And I remember talking to kids and they're like, I've been in like, in in 12 years of school, I've been in 12 12 different cities and 12 different schools. And I'm like, wow, that must be so hard to year after year after year start over and make new friends in a new place and a new school. Maybe you've had to start over. Maybe it was a relationship. One relationship ended. And you had to start over, a new life, new opportunities. Maybe some of it was good, maybe a lot of it was bad, but starting over can be really hard, can it? What we're going to see today in this passage of Scripture is a God who decides to start over. It's like we got to hit the reset button because this just isn't working. And that's what happens with the story of Noah and the flood. And it's what we read about in Genesis chapter 6. It's an incredible story. It's a powerful story. And it's one you'll see today has a lot for us, even today. In Genesis 6, we're going to read about a God who grieved over the sin of humanity. You're going to see a God who grieves and is sorrowful, brokenhearted as he looks at his children. As he looks at his creation, as he looks at this world that he's created, because there is this epidemic of sin that has covered the earth. And it's, it's infected everyone. And what you'll see here in a minute is the, the, the drastic nature in which it has taken over the entire world. But I want you to be reminded of how this all starts. Back in chapter 3, we preached about a couple of weeks ago, Adam and Eve's sin. And their response to sin, if you'll remember, was to hide. Remember that? When God shows up on the scene in that cool evening uh, there in the garden, they hide because they realize that they've sinned. They have shame and they have guilt. And so they're hiding from the Lord. What you will remember from what Dave preached about last week, chapter 4, was Cain's response to his sin when he killed his own brother. It was indifference. God says, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I his keeper? Who knows where he's at? He knew where he was. He killed him, right? So there's this indifference to his sin. And then later in chapter 4 of 
Genesis, you read about, we read about a man named uh, Lamech. He was the great, great, great grandson of Cain, and he commits murder. His response to his murder, to murdering someone else, is to sing about it, to, to laugh about it, to gloat in the middle of it, to taunt it before the Lord, to celebrate his wickedness. And so what you see here is a world that is fast and hard, trending toward wickedness. And God looks at that and it breaks his heart. And so what you're going to see this morning in, as this unfolds in Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to read a little bit in Genesis chapter 9 as it kind of concludes, is that there's this character of God that we see. This story and really the whole Bible, it sheds light on who God is and his character. I would encourage you as you read scripture, as you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you look at these stories and you're like, why is this important? And how does this connect to this to connect to this? And how, how does all this fit together? Maybe some of you would be surprised to understand that it all does fit together. There's this, there's this thin red line, I like to call it, but, but, but between the, the Old Testament and the New. That, that really, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, there's this thin red line that connects it all. Now you have to study and you have to look for it and you have to be interested in figuring some of this stuff out, but it's there. We're going to look at a little bit of it this morning. I'm going to show you what I mean. But there's this thin red line that if you'll dig into it, and if you'll understand God, what God's trying to show us as we read it and we study it, you'll see the story of Jesus, even in the middle of some of this stuff in the Old Testament. And that's why this is so important. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So here's the first thing I want you guys to see about God's character. This first aspect of his character. God grieved as he judged the world. Here's what you'll see. God loves us and he's patient with us. And, and it breaks his heart when he looks at the condition of our lives because of our sin. But he is also a just God. And he is also a God that promises to judge. A stark warning that we'll, we'll be reminded of this morning. Here's how the story begins in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he'd ever made them and put them on the earth. And then look at this sentence. It broke his heart. And so the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I even made them. Can you imagine a world? Moses says that God looked at, at every human and couldn't find, there was one, but he, he couldn't find among them another one who was not evil, who was not wicked, who was not corrupt. It's a world that God created and now it's gotten so out of whack and it's so wicked that there's there seems to be no hope. It's like the people are shouting at God. We, we don't believe you. We don't believe in you. And we don't, we don't even 
think that you care about us. We don't even think you exist. And so we're going to go on. That's the world that we find here in Genesis chapter 6. God's relationship with man has deteriorated to this point. And God's reaction was one of sorrow and grief. I want you to, to notice that, that phrase. It broke his heart. You ever had your heart broken? As a parent, I, I bet you, if you're a parent or a grandparent, or you, you, you know, you love someone who's a, who's a growing up and you see this, this child, this young adult, and they make decisions and sometimes that you see them going down this path and you're like, they're gonna, this is not gonna end well. And it breaks your heart because you know you're like, you're trying to speak wisdom and encouragement into the situation, but you can kind of see the, you can see this where this is gonna end up, right? It breaks your heart when you see people. We see people all the time in the church, like, they're making decisions, right? One decision, we, last night, walking to the, the stadium, it's probably a really poor decision on my part as a father. But the, the path that we choose, because it's really cheap parking, we park in this one place. But we have to walk down these streets, uh, this street that is, it's just like college kids living there on both sides of the street, all right? And so you can imagine the scene, a Saturday night uh, in Lexington before a football game. And, and it's a great teaching tool. Because I, I look to Braden, who, you know, and he sees some of this stuff going on. Some of these people acting, making poor, really poor decisions, right? Just not, not doing wise things. And I, I look at him, I say, you see, this is, this is the result of when you choose to do these things. This is, this is what you look like. This is what happens, right? This is what, and so we, we, we had that conversation last night as we were walking to the stadium. But I, I saw person after person after person making just horrible decisions. And I'm sure, you know, the, their parent, like it would just, it would break your heart if that's your child, if that's your kid, making those decisions, right? We've been there. You, you've probably done that yourself. This is the, ser- the scenario that God paints. He's brokenhearted because of the decisions and he's grieving. Why is he grieving? Because he loves us and he's patient with his creation. And he, he wants to be in relationship with us. But in his patience and in his grace and in his love toward us, we have to be reminded that he is also just and he will judge us. And that's a, a stark warning this morning. In this story, throughout scripture, we see God's judgment and his anger. But here's what we see. Anytime God judges, anytime God gets angry, it's always accompanied with grief. There's, there's a sadness. There's a broken heartedness. You ever had to really correct your kids, right? And it's like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And maybe you say like, not, not really, but it's like, you know, you say that, you think that, and they don't realize that. But it's like, in the middle of that, you're... You're grieving. You're, you're broken hearted because you're having to deal with the situation to course correct. It's gotten off track, right? We got to get it back on track. And so we're going to have to have this conversation. There's going to have to be some discipline. Judgment is coming and it breaks our hearts. You, you see a God here who's, who longs to be in relationship, a loving relationship with his people and he takes no joy in judging them, but he will always choose to judge his people. And so God could have, he could have chosen to just say, you know what, snap his fingers, you know, just a puff and it's all gone and we're going to start over a whole new earth. Like this earth is gone. All these people are gone. All of them 
are gone. Reset, start over, let's just begin anew. But he would choose to save one family, right? There's one family, in fact, there's just really, there's one man that God chooses to save. And we'll look at that story. God's desire here is to preserve a small remnant, and he does that through Noah. God's character shows us what you see in this story in Genesis 6, is that he's not willing to turn his back on us, even in the middle of our complete wickedness. I love this quote from Matt Carter. It says this, The flood story is certainly one of judgment. The declaration of a holy and righteous judge against all that is evil. And yet... It is one of grief, the tears of a loving father who will not give up on his people. And so God, in the middle of his grief, in the middle of his anger, in the middle of his sad, broken heart, has a plan. Here's number two. God showed favor to a righteous man and his family. It's the story of Noah. You guys know it, no part of it. Here's how it goes. But Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at that time. Imagine that. Like, God's looking out and he's searching. All right, I, I'm done with all this, and like this, this is this is not how I intended any of this to go. Like this is bad. It's wicked. It's evil. It's corrupt. And so he's searching and searching. Is there is there one? If I can find one, right? If I can find one person, and it was Noah. Uh, one blameless person living on the earth. And, and look at the next part of that sentence because it's so important to the previous part of that sentence. He and he walked in close fellowship with God. Why was Noah blameless? The only blameless righteous person that God could find? It gives us the answer to that right here. It's because he walked in fellowship with the Lord. Everyone else had rejected him. Everyone else had walked away or ran away, didn't even believe in him, had had totally rejected the Lord. But there was one man who walked blamelessly with him, and his name was Noah, in close fellowship with him. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so Noah alone found favor with the Lord. God declared that he was righteous And that because of his righteousness, his family would benefit from that. Uh, Again, in in chapter 7, Noah or Moses mentions Noah's righteousness. He says this, And the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family, for among all the people on the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. You are the only one, Noah. And so Noah found favor and was righteous, and yet his family was also saved. And that's important. Don't miss the, the truth of, of what's going on here. There's a couple of things I want you to understand. That the, the grace of God precedes Noah's righteousness. Noah received favor from the Lord before God declared him righteous. Noah's obedience didn't save him. Noah received grace when he obeyed. Because of his, because of God's grace and love and relationship with Noah, Noah's reaction is to follow him. 
to listen to him, to walk in fellowship with him. And so this covenant that God made with Noah, it not only benefited Noah, but the, fa- the members of his family as well. Noah's right relationship with God was the foundation for the rest of that family. Now, why is that important? Because here's what I'm talking about when you see this foreshadowing of who Jesus is. Noah is this example in the Old Testament of a righteous person. God calls him that, right? And he says, because of you, you, your family, your wife, your sons, their wives are going to be able to, to get on this ark. There was only one, so it wasn't Noah's wife, it wasn't Noah's sons, it wasn't Noah's daughter-in-laws. They they, they seemed to be a part of this whole problem. But because of Noah's right relationship, they get the benefit of getting on that boat. And so what you see here is this picture of a God who looks at us and says, it's not because of you, you you get the opportunity to, to live in eternity with me, but it's not because of you. It's because of my son who you've placed your faith in. Do you get that? It's because of the righteousness of Jesus that we get to enter heaven. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our wickedness. He doesn't see who we are. He sees who Jesus is in us. And that covers us. The blood of Christ covers all of that for us. Amen? And that's who we are as people. And what you see in the Old Testament is this foreshadowing, this hint of what is to come. Noah was righteous because of that, his family benefited. Because Jesus was holy and blameless and righteous and came on our behalf. The benefit is ours and it's eternity. Noah's family was saved because Noah walked in close fellowship with the Lord. Look at the next part of this story. It says, Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they all filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. And then he says to Noah, he says, Build a large ark. Now notice the specifics of this, right? It's a very specific task that God gives Noah. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar on the inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside of it. The lower, the middle, and the upper. And so while the whole world was rejecting and cursing God... While the whole world was literally going to hell. Noah gets busy building this boat. He only knows to do what the Lord has asked him to do. And I'm I'm pretty sure in the middle of this, it's like, why am I going to need this boat? What do we, what's the plan here? Maybe there were some of those questions, maybe not. But in the middle of whatever was going on inside of Noah's brain and inside of his heart, he knew 
That the Lord said, you need to build this ark. And here's how you need to build it. Here's how big it needs to be. I'll come back. I'll circle back around later and give you some more instructions. But get busy building this boat. In the middle of a world that is totally rejected the Lord. And you can imagine the, the, the scoff and the ridicule. Like, no, what are you doing, dude? What are you building? Why are you building it? What are you, what are you going to do with that thing? Because the Lord told me to build it. Oh, okay. You still believe that stuff? And while the world was rejecting and cursing God, Noah built an ark. This incredible act of obedience demonstrated that he believed God and he believed what God was telling him. And he believed that when God says something, he's going to do it. Because here's how... This continues to play out. Look at the next verse in verse 17. The Lord says, Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Noah started building a boat. He started building this ark before God told him, I'm going I'm to flood the earth. It, it, a lot of questions. A lot of, why do we, oh, I get it now. Here's why I'm going to need this. You're going to cover the earth with a flood that's going to destroy every living thing in the breeze. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. Oh, it's like, oh, thank you. All right, I'm the, I'm the one. Like Noah, Noah's like, man, okay, this sounds really horrible. I'm glad I'm going to have this boat. So enter the boat with your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal and male and female into the boat. Keep with you uh, them alive. Keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. And to be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So no. So notice this. So Noah did everything. What's it say? Exactly as God had commanded him. God knew. When he looked at Noah, I'm going to ask him to do some big stuff. I'm going to literally, right? I'm going to ask him to do something that seems kind of crazy. That's not going to have like all the answers. That, that probably a lot of everybody else is going to look at and go, yeah, you're nuts, dude. What are you doing? And he knew that in the middle of all of that, that Noah was the guy that would do it and would do it exactly as he needed him to do it. Why? Because Noah walked in fellowship with the Lord. And I wonder, when God looks at your life, and God looks at my life, does he see a person that he knows, if I give them a task, if I ask them to do something, if I lead them down a path, are they going to be obedient and do exactly what I need them to do? When the Holy Spirit starts working on your life and in your life, and he asks you to do some things, you're like, I don't know, well, I don't, this doesn't make any sense, I don't know, well, I, just, I don't see this, God, I don't see the whole picture here. Are you walking with the Lord? And can he trust you when he gives you something like he did with Noah? To do it exactly as God had commanded him. What a powerful, genuine faith that Noah had. The high waters are, are coming. The judgment is on the horizon. And Noah did exactly as the Lord commanded. Because of that faithfulness, because he followed God's instructions, Noah would be spared and his family would be spared. And so here's what happens with the third part of this, the third aspect in this story, the third picture of, of God's 
character that we see. He always comes back around to make a new covenant, a new agreement with his people. Here's what he does. This new, God makes this new covenant with his people. The story doesn't end here. This new relationship starts. And if you go over to Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, after the waters have receded, and God's ready to, to lower the door and to send Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives back onto the earth with all the animals that have been spared. Here's what happens. And the Lord blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Now that may sound familiar. It's the same command. It's the same thing that he told Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. It's a little bit different. You'll see that here in a second. He said, all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, all the fish in the sea will look to you with fear and terror. Now that's different. And he says, I've I've placed them in your power. Here's what I want you to see about the end of this story when God makes this new covenant, this new commitment with Noah and his family, with, with mankind. It's a different a different deal than he gave Adam and Eve. With Adam and Eve in the garden in chapters 1 and 2, it was like, hey, this is all for you. It's all for you. Don't worry about a thing. Not to worry about anything. Just stay away from that one tree. It's all going to be good. Here, it's a little different. He says, now there's going to be fear and terror. The relationship you have with these animals now, it's going to be different. There's going to be some fear, some terror. Like there, there are going to be some of these animals you're going to stay away from. They're going to stay away from you, right? We, we see that in our world. And then, he, and then he gives them this command about what, what it looks like when you take another person's life. He talks about when someone murders, like that, that there's, there's going to be consequences for that. And so he lays this all out. For, we don't have time to read all that this morning. But God lays that all out for Adam or for Noah and his family. And so what you have here are some commands that God didn't need to give Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. Why? Because sin hadn't entered the world yet. But now it has. And now it's a different world. It's a, it's a, it's a new world. But it's still going to have its issues. Look at verses 8 through 13. It said, Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living things, and never again will a flood destroy the earth. And then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all the living creatures and all generations to come. I've placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. I don't know what you think of when you see a rainbow or when you see those colors today, but I know what I think of. I I think of a promise that God made with his people. A covenant that he made. I, I love you so much, God said. I, I don't ever, I'm never going to do this again in this way. And so he makes that promise to Noah and his family. Did it fix everything? Absolutely not. We know it didn't. We know that sin, man's sinful ways would, would continue. But God's new covenant with mankind is special and it's different. These words and these warnings here in this story are powerful because sin, the sin of man has spread deep and wide and they signal a new, a new relationship. God says, we're going to start over. And here's why I love this story. Here's why I love the story of Genesis and I love these kind of stories. Like I said before, that it always points us back 
to a Jesus. Right? There's this powerful understanding that God's done something in the Old Testament and he does it in the New Testament and it all fits together and it points us back to Christ. Noah's Noah story does that. And really, every story that you read about in the Old Testament does that. And like I said, you're going to have to study it and you're going to have to figure some of those things out and some of those connections, but they're there. Here's what Romans says about part of this Genesis epic tale. It says this, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one action of righteousness brings about a right relationship with God, a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But, but, because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteousness, righteous. And so here's what we see. We see an Old Testament story that God tells of a man named Noah and his family who are saved through a wooden boat, right? You see this story where salvation comes to them. They are going to be spared because of this ark. That Noah builds. And then when you read the New Testament, what you see is a people, us, who will be spared, who will be saved. It's not going to be because of wooden boat. It's going to be because of a wooden cross. And when we look at that cross, when we look at what God did through his son Jesus on that cross, what we realize is that a perfect, blameless, holy, righteous person died. The Son of God. Not because of anything he'd done, but because of you and me. Because of us. Because of our wickedness. And here's what we have to understand. This is not politically correct in our day and age. But God is going to judge us. He's going to judge our sin. And he's going to judge our wickedness. Because he is a holy God. And he will judge. He promises us that. But that's not the end of the story. We don't have to stand trial for our Sins for our wickedness. There is a way forward. There is a way out. And God says, if you will put your faith, if you will put your trust, if you will put your life into the hands of Jesus, there is a way. Here's the bottom line. God judges sin and wickedness, but he brings salvation out of his judgment. God's call for our generation is to turn from our sin and to accept his offer that only comes through Jesus. We would be wise. Just like Moses, or, or excuse me, Noah was wise to listen to the Lord. Even when he didn't understand it all, he was obedient because he walked with the Lord. You and I would be wise to take God at his word and to believe him when he says he is going to judge and bring judgment upon an unrepentant world. But in the middle of that, there is salvation for those who turn from that and who repent and call upon the name of Jesus. 
right? That is something to celebrate. That is a message that goes forward out of this room today into this world. That in the middle of a world that's gone down really horribly, right? We look at all this chaos and tumult and go, what in the world is going on here? Just like Noah looked around and go, God, what in the world is going on in your world? And we realize that the only way out of this place, the only way out, is through Jesus. And that's something we're celebrating. That, that's something that's more exciting than a football game. That's more than, that, that's the most exciting thing that this world has ever heard. And he gives that message to us, the church, to take it forward. And so my prayer this morning is for you guys, for us, is to understand what he's done. I look at my life, right? I look at my heart, and I know what goes on in here. And I know what goes on in here. And I can't believe God would choose to save me. But he does through his son. And I'm so thankful for that. And that's where my hope is. And that's where your hope is. And that's where salvation comes. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to pray. And then we're going to sing this song. Bobby will be down here. We'd love to talk to you if you have a decision to make this morning about what it looks like to walk with Jesus anew. That's what this is all about. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. God, I thank you for the, the men and women that are in this room right now that have come and gathered to sing praises to your name. Hear your word proclaimed. To, to read an ancient text and an ancient story and a story that seems like something we heard when we were a child in Sunday school and then you kind of just put it to the side and you're like, oh yeah, I guess that's a story that seems interesting. And we forget about it and we don't give it much attention and we circle back around to it, God, we understand that in the middle of, of what you did with Noah, something powerful. It's the same thing you want to do with us. You want to make a new covenant with us. You've done that through your son, Jesus. You want a, a new relationship with us. You want us to walk in fellowship with you, to know you like you know us. And so God, I pray that every person in this room this morning leaves this place with that kind of a relationship. If there's one here today that doesn't have that yet, God, we offer them the opportunity to come and pray about that and see what that looks like to walk with, with Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing. Suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues with one cry. Then from north to south and east to west, we dear Christ be magnified. 
magnified in every aspect of your life this week. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. If you're uh, new here, maybe your first or second time, there's an I'm new wall out there in the lobby. There's some folks out there that can answer any questions you may have about our church. We'd love to connect with you. Also, October 19th is our next Pathways uh, session. It'll be on a Tuesday night, uh, the 19th, uh, 6 o'clock. There's food and child care provided. Uh, if you have um, want more information about that, you can go to the, uh, the Next Step room over here to my right through that door, and they'll be able to answer any questions. Just a conversation about what it looks like to be a part of local church, maybe for what it looks like to take that first step and, and become a Christian, how you can get plugged in to serve and a part of a life group, those kind of things that we really value and are really important to our church. So Pathways, October 19th. Uh, and then the last thing is Mary Stratton's out in the lobby. Uh, she works with Hospice and um, looking for some volunteers in Shelby County to work uh, with that effort. They also are delivering food to elderly folks and shut-ins in our community. Uh, she's trying to d- develop some more volunteers and a team to help her with that. She's already done about 175 meals uh, here recently to folks here in our community. So it's a great outreach, a great opportunity just to love on some folks uh, who sometimes get get uh, forgotten, right? Who kind of just get uh, pushed to the side. So if you guys would be interested in maybe talking to her about that ministry and serving in that capacity, she's out in the lobby uh, at the table. Hey, thanks for being here today. Have a great week. Let's go love God, love people, and change the world. See you guys.